0: everybody. I am going to have us pass out some of those blue Bibles. Blue Bibles. If we can have a couple of people pass those out. If you didn't remember your Bible like Lucy Taylor, you have to take a blue Bible. And it's tragic. We love our blue Bibles. They are handy. They are trustworthy. They are tried and true. But if you don't have a Bible of your own, Talk to us and we want to give you a better Bible, like one that's maybe like leather and durable. All right, you can just keep that leather Bible or the blue Bible right in front of you. All right, I was trying to look around and see if I hadn't ever met anyone in this room. I've met most of you guys, but typically when you meet someone... um, I'm going to have you pretend with the person next to you. So if you're not sitting next to someone, make sure everyone is gotten to. What would you say to someone if you've never met them? Practice. What would you say to someone if you've never met them? Maybe what's a question you would ask them? Something you would ask them. All right, I need to hear. What would some people say to someone they've never met? What would you say? Jade would say, hi, my name is Jade. Welcome to HSM. What's your name? What would you guys say to someone you've never met before? Nice to meet you. Is there a question? A question? Greetings. Is there a question you would ask someone? Tristan? What's your name? Yeva? Yeva? What grade are you in? What about in the back here? What's a question you guys would ask someone you've never met before? What was it, Jordan? Do you like pumpkin pie? Very specific. Is this your first time? All right, do you guys want to know the question I always want to ask people? Greetings. All right, I'll wait, I'll wait. The question I always want to ask people is, Who are your siblings? What are your siblings like? What are your parents like? Who lives at home? I want to ask you about your family. Typically, when I'm talking to people for some of the first time, I want to understand, what is your family like? And for some of you, you're like, that's kind of weird. My family's pretty normal, like just got me and a brother and a sister and my parents and that's pretty much it, that's pretty normal. But for some of you, and for actually most of us, our families are really complex. And usually when I start asking questions about someone's family, something will come up that maybe wouldn't have naturally, like if we were just talking about whether or not we like pumpkin pie or what their name is, but usually I'll have to ask a specific question that will get to something that will unearth something that's actually really helpful and important in understanding who they are. So for you, it might be something like maybe your parents are divorced, Maybe uh, you're actually the only one at home because you're either an only child or all of your siblings are out of the house. Maybe you take care of little siblings. That's really significant. Maybe you don't have a relationship with your older siblings, or maybe you don't have a relationship with grandparents or one of your parents or both of your parents. Maybe you were raised by someone other than your biological parents. Um, Maybe you you have step-siblings or half-siblings. Maybe you have grandparents who live with you. All of these things are things that are really unique to a family and help me understand more of where you guys are coming from and all of those things that I just mentioned, by the way they 're not abnormal. All of you in this room probably could relate a little bit to something there that I said that might feel like yeah that's not the perfect family that's not the ideal family that I want but but every single one of us has a little bit a little part of our family that's a little unique and a little bit significant to who we are and how we are created. And I always want to take a closer look at that because it gives me a lot of information about how you were raised and what it's like to be part of your family. And similarly, we read a genealogy in Matthew, Matthew chapter one. There's a genealogy which means that it's the line of Jesus. So it's going from Abraham and taking a look at who is Abraham's Oldest son, and who was that guy's oldest son, and who was that guy's oldest son, and who was that guy's oldest son, all the way down until we get to Jesus. And what we take a look at in Matthew chapter one is that only five times is someone other than the son mentioned. All right, so what we're doing here is we're taking a look at the the dad and their son and their son-son and their son-son-son and their son-son-son-son-son. And only five times do we see that a woman is mentioned in this genealogy. And it's the one who has married this guy and she's the mother of the next one. So, we're taking a look at the five women that are in this genealogy that are mentioned because those are the people that God has said, I'm circling this one. This one is the one you're supposed to look at. Because as we notice, there are so many women mentioned in the Old Testament. Like, for example, Abraham's wife, Sarah, we have so many stories about Sarah, but Sarah is not mentioned in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham is, her husband, but Sarah is not mentioned. So there's a lot of women mentioned in the Old Testament, but only five of them are mentioned in this genealogy, which makes us go, huh, there's something about those women that we want to take a look at their stories in the Old Testament that are going to tell us a little bit more about what Matthew and ultimately what God wants us to know about the coming king. And so last week, this is where we've been, we were looking at Tamar, and Morgan gave us an incredible message about who Tamar was. Tamar came from the line of Abraham, so Abraham we know Abraham. Abraham's the guy who is like, I have uh, no kids, and yet God was like, I'm promising you that you're going to be the father of this nation, this chosen people. That's Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who has his oldest son's name is Judah. And Judah has twins with Tamar. But Tamar's story is a little muddy. It's actually really ugly. We actually have a podcast if you do want to listen to the message from last week. We have it up on our podcast. If you are curious about Tamar, you can listen to Morgan's message from last week. And... This is Tamar. Tamar is someone who has married into this family, and she has experienced lots of grief because her husband died, and then she was given to the next brother, and he died as well. And so she was set to the side, and Judah has decided, I don't want anything to do with her. But unfortunately, one thing leads to the next, and we don't look to these characters as people we should be like, but we look to them for a reminder of who God is, and he is a God who redeems disobedience, he redeems sin, and he redeems shame. And this is, this is the story of Tamar, is that God all over the place has redeemed, he's made new, he's made for his glory and your good, disobedience, sin, and shame. And so we are then, after that, so that's Tamar. Tamar was the mother of this next guy. And we go down a couple of generations. And what happens between Tamar and Judah, having those twins, and where we pick up, which is Rahab, there's a couple hundred years in between there. And what happens there is these people of Israel, this growing population, this nation of Israel, this people of God, they have settled in Egypt And what we're going to see is a little map. And this map, where it begins off to the left, is where these people have settled. And for about a couple hundred years, we see a couple generations in Matthew 1 of these people who lived in this this place. And then the pharaoh of Egypt, so the Egypt ruler, pharaoh, he says, these people are getting too big, and so I'm actually going to enslave them. And so he, he made them do manual labor. And then what we find is that the people of God are meant to be set free. And God says, I have a promised land for you, which is ultimately up there to the top left. That's Israel. And that's the promised land for the people of God. And God is saying, I want to bring you to that place. And so what happens is Moses, if you remember this guy, Moses is the one to lead his people out of the uh, slavery of Egypt towards the promised land. And Moses, he he actually um, warns Pharaoh that there's going to be plagues, bad things that happen in the land. And the very last one, and I'm saying all this because all of it's going to culminate in the story of Rahab, there's this, this tenth plague and it's when the angel of death will pass over all, everyone in Egypt, actually it even says everyone in the world, and it's going to actually kill the firstborn male, which would have been devastating. But in order to be saved from that, in order for the angel of death to pass over those houses and not kill those kids, you would have to take an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, kill it and take the blood of that lamb and put it on your doorpost. And that doorpost would be marked with blood, with red blood. And the angel of death would pass over those homes and keep those people alive. And so the people of Israel survived this last plague. And that was the last straw. Then the Pharaoh said, goodbye. I don't want you anymore. You're killing my my people. Go. And so they were released and they actually crossed the Red Sea And then for 40 years, they go on this little roundabout journey where they are wandering in the wilderness, waiting to get the okay, the green light from God, to go to the promised land, to enter into Israel, the place where they were longing for. And here we pick up in the story of Joshua, this woman who comes into the picture called Rahab. I'm going to have you open to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua is going to be kind of after some of those first five books of the Bible that you might have recognized, they're called the Pentateuch. And those are that's the story of everything I just described. It's like everything from Adam all the way until Moses. And then after Deuteronomy is Joshua. If you've hit like um, Judges, you've gone too far. First Kings is too far. But Joshua, we're in chapter 2. And this is when the people of God are literally on the banks, on the other side of a river, and they can see the promised land. And they're waiting for God's okay, his green light, to say, go. And what we see here is, is Moses actually gives over control to Joshua. And now Joshua is in charge of the people of Israel. So Joshua is leading the people of Israel into Israel for the first time. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, who's the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shiitim and spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So he's saying, go, I'm going to, I want you to go to Jericho. And what we see here on this map is that, do you see that like top, there's I, and then there's Gilgal, and then there's Jericho. And Jericho is just over the bank of the river heading into the promised land. And this is the first town that God has said, go, take over this place. And from this place, you'll be able to take over the entire promised land. And so here we have Joshua getting ready to enter into Jericho. And we are going to meet Rahab here. And the first point that we're going to look at over the next 10 verses is that God is concerned for his people. So we're going to learn through this story that God is concerned for his people. And we see this in verse 1, the second half of verse 1. It says this, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Unfortunately, it takes all but one sentence for these two spies to ruin their entire mission and actually wander, probably purposefully, into the house of a prostitute. These two men are not honorable. They are not stand up. um, They are not honoring to God. And yet, God is going to allow his purpose to come through even their disobedience and sin. God is concerned for his people And these two men are about to ruin the entire history going forward by ruining their cover. And yet, God says, you know what? Instead of walking into the house of someone who does not love me, you are going to walk into the house against all odds of someone who's going to point you towards the heart of God. God is concerned for his people. And so they wander into this house Uh, of a prostitute, and her name is Rahab. And it says this in verses 2 through 7. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land but the woman who had taken the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and she said true the men came to me but i did not know where they came from and when the gate was about to be closed at dark the men went out i do not know where the men went pursue them quickly for you will overtake them but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And so what happens here is Rahab, she takes these guys in. The people of Jericho come and say, hey, release these guys. We think that you have them. And she says, no, they actually escaped just at the right time. And so go run after them because they're, they're out there and they're heading back to their camp. Go get them so that they can't get back to their people and tell, tell their people really how to get into this city and how to conquer it. And, and so the, the pursuers, the people of Jericho go and they go and pursue the spies. But in fact, the spies were actually just on her roof and she takes them refuge. She is incredibly bold and courageous and very risky in this moment. Then we see in verses 8 through 10, it says this, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So she's saying here, she's like, everything that's in your path is going to melt away. Every person, every building, every idol, every God is going to melt away before you. I know that your people are serving a God who is very powerful. It says this in verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, which by the way, that was 40 years earlier. That was probably older than she was, which means that Rahab has heard these stories being told about these people of Israel. And she's saying, I've heard these stories. The, the Red Sea was parted before you in Egypt 40 years ago. And what you did to the two kings of the Ammonites and who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, which means you absolutely, completely destroyed, everyone killed. She recognizes and recounts what has happened and if this is off-putting to you that the God that we supposedly serve and love is a God that would allow for the destruction of people, including women and children, it should upset you. That should give you pause and start thinking, wait, what? This doesn't totally line up with what we've always thought or talked about in Sunday school, right? Right? That this is a God of love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. Yes, and yet there's this story of how everyone in the path of the Israelites, everyone is destroyed. In Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 to 18, God says to the people of Israel, destroy everything in these cities. Every single little thing, and that's because everyone who lived in that side of, like, in the promised land, it was completely inhabited by people who did not believe in God, Yahweh, the one true God. They were worshiping gods that were destructive, that would have used power to manipulate, that would have been harmful and hurtful to society, to culture, to people, to children, to women, all of the above. And what God has said is actually, when you go into this land that's occupied by the people who are not my people, who don't love me, you're going to have to destroy everything. And what it makes me think about is, in, in, in a microscopic way, termites, okay? Termites, they are destructive. Termites eat for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If one termite was left to one two-by-four uh, two plank of wood, it would eat a two by four, um, in five months, which sounds like a long time. Except for the fact that that's one termite, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of termites in a building that's being infested by termites. And there are there's over five billion dollars in damage worldwide because of um, termites. Termites are horrible. Like if you have termites bad things happen. Like your, your house is probably getting tented, you have to like uh, evacuate, you have to get rid of all of your food, these termites have to go. How weird would it be if you knew that your house had termites, that everything in it, like the entire structure was being eaten by these things, destroying it, and you were like, but I just wanna save like 20 of them. Like I'm just going to save 20 of these really destructive things that are completely destroying everything that is good and right for survival and I'm just going to save 20 of them. No, you would never do that. You would say, no, we are going to say goodbye to all of them. Now, in a similar but very, very, very magnified way, God has said, all of these people, they love something other than me, and that is destructive to the vision and the promise that God has for his people, which is serving the one true God. This is life, and this is flourishing. And so don't leave a single one of these Canaanites, these Ammonites, these Jebusites, all of these people that, that occupy this promised land, all of them must go because you must not be tainted. You must not be brought down. There's already enough sin that lives within this people of God. Don't let more destroy you. God is concerned for his people, and we see this with a, like a microphone, We hear it with a microphone in these first 10 verses, but God is also concerned for the outsider. Verse 11 says this. This is probably the most wild verse in the first couple books of the Bible. It says this, and as soon as we heard it, this is Rahab speaking, who grew up she, she grew up an atheist in that way. Like, as in, like, she grew up worshiping gods that was not Yahweh. Like, she worshiped someone other than God our Father. And she says this, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In one breath, Rahab, a Canaanite, from Jericho, confesses her faith in God, Yahweh. This is probably the first time a Gentile, someone not a, a person, an Israelite, not a person from Israel, from this group of people, it's the first time that a Gentile has professed their faith in God, Yahweh. She says, he is the God of heaven and earth, and I believe in him, and is with this profession of faith that Rahab is saved. Hebrews eleven thirty one is known as the hall of faith. These people who have incredible faith that have moved mountains, and it says this, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Because of her faith in God Yahweh, Rahab will be saved. God is concerned for the outsider. Verses 12 through 15, and then I'll read verse 18. It says this. This is her escape plan. This is her great escape from being destroyed, starting in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you. You also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 18. It says this, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household." The escape plan is when they take over the city. She's going to take this scarlet, this red, this blood-stained cord. She's going to hang it from her window, and everything in the city will be destroyed other than her household. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound a little bit like the Passover, when the the blood of the lamb is on the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over every house and not kill the ones who are in that house? She is to put a scarlet cord, a blood-stained cord, out of, like a rope out of her window, and that will be the sign to, to pass over her house and keep her household alive when the city is taken down because of her faith, not because she cracked the code, not because she guessed right, not because she was kind enough or good enough or helpful enough. No, it's because she declared that she believed in God the Father, God Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, that is because that is the reason why she was saved from destruction later in in verse uh chapter 5 verse 13 to 15 we have this encounter where there's an angel a messenger of Yahweh verse 13 says this When Joshua was by Jericho, so the the spies come back. They've told Joshua, hey, here's the deal. We've got this gal. She has us in good hands, but we're going to save her family. We're ready to go when you are, Joshua. And it says this, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. This is a messenger of Galway. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? I'll pause here. I went to the Cowboys-Commander's game on, on Thanksgiving Day. I was in Dallas. Very fun. I dressed up as the Grinch. Unfortunately, no one saw me on TV. That was my goal. It didn't work. But when I was walking around in my Grinch costume in the stadium, I wasn't wearing any Cowboys gear. I wasn't wearing any Commander's gear. And so people were kind of wondering, like, are you for us or against us? Like, which team are you on, right? And I was kind of like, I'm on neither team. Like, I'm, I'm actually just, like, here to have fun. Like, I just want to take pictures with kids. I want to, like, make people laugh. And I really just want to get on TV. And so I was really on neither team. I don't care about either team. I was just for fun. It, in this moment, Joshua comes face to face with a messenger of God. And he says, are you on the Israelite team or are you on Jericho's team? And this is what he responds, no, I'm not on either but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. He's saying, I'm not on your team, and I'm not on their team. I'm on God's team, which in this moment gives room for Rahab to be part of the community of faith. It isn't that God has said, only the people from this line, from this descendant, can be my people, but he is saying, Anyone who believes in me, which is often these people called the Israelites, but also anyone else, will be part of the family of God. And in Joshua 6, verse 22, we see that this comes to fruition. Verse 22 says, But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp in Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And this is amazing. It says, and she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God is concerned for the outsider and makes the outsider an insider. Rahab was saved and brought from the outside of God's people Into the inside of God's people. The question must be asked who can belong? Who can access the blessing of the Messiah, which ultimately the Passover and Rahab's cord is just a foreshadow of the coming King, that he would die on the cross, and it is by his blood that we are saved. Clearly, not because of your family, not because of your past not because of your job, not because of what, what you've done or want to do, not because of your nationality, not because of your gender, are you brought into the family of God. Is only by the profession of faith that you believe that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is enough to cover for your sins. That is how we enter into the kingdom. Who would be the most shocking person for you to walk into church today? If someone walked through those doors today and took a seat in the back right over here and you looked over and you, you would say, why are they here? Why are they here? It could be a friend of yours, a relative of yours. It could be someone famous, honestly, where they would sit down and you would go, why is she here? Like, what motive does he have to be here? As someone comes to mind, perhaps... That is the person that God is asking you to believe for, to fight for, to put your life on the line for their eternity for. Someone who would be shocking to be welcomed into the family of God. I was at an FCA at at school, um, at one of our public schools a couple weeks ago. And someone was in there and a lot of our students were saying, why is he here? Why is he here? And finally, we asked one of the friends of this person who we know and asked her, why, why did he come? And she said, because he needs Jesus. And we were all hum- humbled in that moment. Why is he here at this FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we're talking about God? Why, why is she here at church today? Why is, why is he at HSM tonight? Because they need God. It is a good enough reason for them to be in this room so I would challenge you, who is someone that would be shocking to be in this room today? Perhaps that's the person that you are meant to put your life on the line for, for their eternity. God is concerned for his people. He's concerned for the outsider. And finally, he is concerned for you. In Matthew, after the genealogy, he talks about Mary, the mother of God. And Matthew says this, she, Mary, will bear a son. This is writing what the, the angel would would say, angel Gabriel would say to her and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins, but not just his people. Later in 1 John 2, verse 2, he says this, he is the propitiation of our sins, meaning he is the replacement, like he's taken on our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You too are welcomed into the family of God, not because of what you have done or said or what you hope to be or what you hope never to be. You are welcomed into the family of God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And you get to say yes to that sacrifice and say, I want to take that as my own. God, would you take my place? Would you judge Jesus instead of me so that I could spend eternity with you in your presence? Rahab is a beautiful story of how God is concerned for his people. He's concerned for the outsider, and specifically he is concerned for you, and we are anticipating the coming Messiah as we lead up until Christmas. I'm going to pray for you guys here. If you guys would stand with me, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you as we head out into the rest of this Sunday. God, thank you that you have... uh, brought to us a story of someone who is incredibly imperfect, um, a person like Rahab that we ultimately, um, Lord, we, we don't strive to be like because she actually just has a unique story on her own. But Lord, we look to her as an example of who you are, a shadow of who you are. God, you're a God who has made a way for the outsider to become on the inside of the family of God. Lord, thank you that you've pursued us, that you've welcomed us in, and that you've made a way for us to be part of your family. In your name we pray. Amen.